Hola, this is Adela Yelton here at Latina South Podcast. And hopefully, like many of you, we are also taking a break. We'll enjoy some summer vibes while working to bring you Series 2 of some of the most inspiring stories of amazing Latinas making things happen throughout the South. In the meantime, I invite you to listen to mi amiga, my friend, Audra Agin of Women in the Arena podcast, where she celebrates everyday women living extraordinary lives in plain sight. Let's listen as Audra speaks to Dr. Lupita Hightower about her passion for education and being the superintendent of Tolson Elementary School District in Arizona. Also make sure you visit the show notes where we include a link to our most recent Latina South listener survey. Let us know what you think for a chance to shape the show and to win some Latina South swag. Thank you for your support and hasta la próxima. See y'all. Welcome in, everyone. I am so glad you're here. I am Audra Egan, your host of Women in the Arena podcast, where we celebrate women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We have yet another remarkable woman here today that I can't wait for you to meet. Thanks for joining me, and let's start the show. Welcome in, everyone. I am so glad you're here. I have an amazing guest with me today, and I cannot wait to introduce you to her. Dr. Lupita Hightower has had two decades of an educational experience, and she has served in numerous roles throughout those two decades, starting with a teacher. She's been a mentor. She's been an assistant principal, a principal, a district level director, and now a superintendent for the Tolleson Elementary School District. In 2019, she received the National Latin Superintendent of the Year Award. And that is national. That is amazing. And she has also received numerous well-deserved recognitions throughout her career. It is truly my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Lupita Hightower. Lupita, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking out some time of your very busy schedule to come and talk to me and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Adra, for having me and uh, for sharing some of my story. I am so excited to tell your story. Uh, This is usually the part where I say, tell us about yourself and let's get to know you a little bit. But our entire conversation today is going to be about getting to know you. And the reason why I want to tell your story is because it's a story of resilience, of determination, and not listening to the voices around you, and only listening to the one that is within you, and not to be deterred from your goal, regardless of what people are saying around you. So that is what we're going to be doing here today. So Lupita, can you please tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I was um, born in Nogales, Mexico, on the border town. And I knew early on that my dream was to be a teacher. I knew since I was five years old that all I wanted to do was um, to teach. And I would teach the neighborhood kids. I would teach my cousins. I come from a very large family. And that was my dream. 
uh, when I was in the sixth grade, I had such an inspirational um, teacher, Professora Dolores. We called her Profa for short, or you know, for Professor, but Profa for short. And she was so dedicated, and she had such high expectations for all of us that I remember going at the end of the year and asking her how come she had such high expectations for us, and she shared that. She, had, she expected 150% from us, so we could at least give her 100. So that meant a lot um, to me, and that really drives a lot of the work that I do. She was so inspiring that my license plate um, is a vanity license plate, and it reads Profa, and it is in the honor of this uh, teacher that I had in Mexico. Um, and I'm also an educator, so it makes me proud um, to display that license plate. What a testament, you know, what a testament to how those, those young, in those young, um, impressionable years that an educator made such an impact on how you've lived your life, to honor her even by giving yourself that same nickname. And I think that that's, that's a tremendous testament to all of our educators. Definitely. Um, When I was getting ready to go to seventh grade, my parents uh, felt that if I learned English, I would be set up for life. Um, so they decided that I would go to school uh, to Nogales, Arizona. And both my mom and dad are uh, not formally educated, so they have about an eighth grade education. And my dad had started um, selling blankets um, to the Americans that would cross the border in Nogales, and he was bilingual. He had learned English by listening to music. I wasn't as talented as my dad to learn English by uh, listening to music or watching um, TV. So they sent me to school in Nogales, Arizona, as a small school. And I had a teacher that she was an, she was an excellent teacher, but she was getting very frustrated with some of the Spanish speaking kids that were in her seventh grade class that would not show up for tutoring in the morning. And instead we would go and play basketball. So one morning- um, <laughs> You were kids. Yes, one morning, and it was so hard to be in English school for six, seven hours a day and then add another one. So at one, one morning, she was very frustrated and she spoke Spanish to us and she said, uh, basically that all the lazy Mexican kids, instead of coming and showing up to tutoring, instead we would go and play basketball. And that was a very impactful statement. And as a 12-year-old thinking, is she talking about me? And then I'm like, okay, yes, I am Mexican, but I'm definitely not lazy. And I have to show up to this tutoring that she wants me to show up to so I can um, better learn the language. So I started showing up to tutoring every day. And I started um, learning the the English language, even though I didn't practice it a lot, but I was learning all the uh, grammar and everything that was necessary to do well in school. And after a few months, I ended up um, earning the honor roll and um, being more successful with school. And to make the long story short, uh, I ended up uh, graduating number one uh, in my graduating class of that smaller school in Ogales, Arizona. And I was really excited to be done with that. And I was really excited to be able to finally uh, go and um, accomplish my dream of becoming a teacher. But my parents um, were worried. They're like, um, you know, your dad is doing so well uh, selling 
blankets and later um, he ended up opening a small shop um, on the border you should study business and if you study business you'll do so much better so I went to a small trade college in Tucson and uh, received a um, business degree from that college and then I still wanted to continue my education but my parents were still uh, not allowing me to go into uh, an education college so I went to Pima Community College and I started studying business there. And um, the situation became dire when um, my parents could not pay the out-of-state, out-of-country tuition. And as, um, I was undocumented. And I remember going and crying to a secretary at the school who said, um, I'm going to help you out. And um, you love school and I'll help you out somehow. And then later I didn't realize that I don't know how she did it, and I'm just so grateful to her. I did try to go look for this woman by the name of Rosa, and I couldn't find her, but um, she helped me to be able to get in-state um, tuition and to be able to continue to go to school. That's, a, that's amazing. That's n yet another woman helping you along the way in your journey and investing in you to help you achieve your dream of becoming a teacher. So much so, so much so. And then on the, on the personal side, when I was uh, a young woman as an 18 year old, um, I went to a fateful uh, spring break in Mazatlan, Mexico. And uh, that's where I um, ended up meeting my, my now husband of almost 30 years. But, um, and uh, he was born and raised in Phoenix and an American citizen. And I, that's how I ended up um, becoming documented and. So I became documented and as soon as I got married, I said, I'm going to follow my dreams and I'm going to be a, a teacher. So when I started um, going to school at the University of Arizona, I had some incredible professors that really believed in me and who would motivate me. Um, I had Dr. Evans uh, one time she, well, she used to say, Lupita, you're going to come back and take my job someday. I just know it. <laughs> and uh, that was so inspiring. And then there was another professor, Dr. Guerrero, who one time asked me to stay after class. And he asked me what my grades were. And I said, they're pretty good. I have A's and B's. And he said, have you ever thought of getting your doctorate? And I said, absolutely not. I just want to get my bachelor's and be a teacher. But he was planting that seed that many educators plant and that you don't think about it until later. But I also had other experiences at U of A as well. I had a, a professor, um, was, I think probably six months before graduating from the College of Education. And this professor said to me, um, actually she wrote it down on, and I still have this piece of paper. She wrote on a feedback form in a class that I had like a 98%. I doubt that you will be able to step into a classroom because when you speak, you speak with an accent and one of your classmates agrees with me. That is, that is awful. That could have derailed you right there by having a professor uh, basically dash your dream, if you would allow her to, simply because you had an accent. But fortunately, that was a painful experience. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and fortunately, you had the the fortitude to say, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm going to still go forward and chase my dream. And and you had all that support from the other professors that said, maybe you should push further beyond being a teacher, 
get your doctorate. I, I think that it that's an amazing, like I said in the beginning, it's an amazing testament to your resilience and your determination to chase your dream. Thank you so much, Adra. And, and again, that support of the of the educators at the college. After that incident, I went to speak to uh, a professor. And now that, that resource center is called the Cesar Chavez Resource Center. At the time, it was called the Hispano Latino Chicano Resource Center. And I went to speak to him. He was a director, um, Dr. Valdenegro. And I said, Dr. Valdenegro, um, I had this situation. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I don't know. That's, that's why I'm here. Um, I wanted to ask, what should I do about it? And he said, well, that's not okay. What happened was not okay. And it should not happen to another student again. You need to let her know. And I said, I love to let her know. I just don't know that, that I can face her. And he said, well, then give her a call. <laughs> so I wrote a little script and I called her and I said, you know what? I, I used to be embarrassed of my accent, but I am not anymore. I am proud of who I am. And this is who I am. And um, it is what it is. It's not like I can decide not to wear my accent. <laughs> and she apologized. She said, I wasn't trying to insult or offend you. Um, I thought maybe you could get some speech classes, but... I will never say something like this to another student again. So I thought, well, that's great. You know, mission accomplished. So I was able to get a job as a teacher right away in the Tucson Unified School District. And I felt that I was living a dream. My first contract Audra, was about $21,000. And I just remember thinking, I can't believe that I'm getting paid to do this job. And, and I love everything about, about the schools, the smells, the materials, the instruction, the students, the teachers, the staff, it's invigorating walking into a school. So you were born to be a teacher. So yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. And now as a school superintendent, of course, the contract looks different. But I, I always say, um, I, I always say, I, I can, you know, I can't believe that I'm getting paid to do this job. And I don't ever want to lose that feeling, um, ever. So then after uh, teaching in um, Tucson for one year, we moved up to the Phoenix area and I applied for a job in a district where we were building our first home in the Northwest Valley of Phoenix. And I went to interview for a teaching position and the principal in front of a, a panel of teachers said, we don't need people like you in this district. And that was also really hurtful. But you didn't listen. You just kept going. No, I... I, I Again, you know, it's um, in a way it is my resilience, but in another way, it's all the support systems. So I remember calling my husband and and basically said, don't listen to don't listen to the principal. You're a fantastic teacher. This district is missing out on you and they have no idea. So I ended up uh, teaching at Sunny Slope Elementary in the Washington Elementary School District. And it was a dream come true with an extraordinary principal who believed in all kids without exception. And she also believed and supported and developed her staff. And after that experience, um, I was getting a very good reputation as a classroom teacher. And I would have a lot of visitors that would come through my classroom. And when George uh, W. Bush was campaigning to be president, um, his wife was a former librarian and wanted to come and visit two classrooms um, in the school. And one of the classrooms selected was mine. So I had the Secret Service there twice. And then, of course, when 
such a dignitary comes to a school, you have the media, you have the board, you have the superintendent, the assistant superintendent coming through your classroom. And all the kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all the beautiful treasures there. And one of the women that came with this group was Dr. Lynn Bailey. And Dr. Bailey saw me and felt that I should help the school district mentor beginning teachers. And when that happened, that was such a, a beautiful opportunity. I saw it as a blessing uh, to support. I didn't know that I was going to receive an additional stipend or anything like that. And it was an after school duty. And as I started mentoring uh, teachers, I realized that some teachers uh, felt that maybe the kids um, didn't know anything. Maybe the parents didn't care. And that had not been my experience. My experience was the parents want their kids to do better than they ever did. And as far as the kids not knowing anything, they may not know the standards, but if you connect, the standards to what they bring, the knowledge they bring and have high expectations, the students rise to those and they perform very well. So that's when I felt that maybe I could go into a school administration and maybe if I got my master's in administration, I could be an assistant principal and support classroom teachers and influence uh, classroom teachers. And it would be I felt like if I was able to influence two or three of the teachers in my staff, that um, it would be more than my classroom, even though my, my love and my dream was to be a classroom teacher. And that's how um, I started in school administration. I think that was like, I don't know, um, eight, 17, 18 years ago. But you were very young to start in administration and and i think that was very it was a very fateful meeting that laura bush happened to come in to see a classroom and you had everybody there and everybody recognized that you had a gift and they wanted you to share that gift and and it took off from there and so you you started in administration and i know that it wasn't easy um because you were trying to learn this new role of administration and get your master's at the same time. Yes, 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 that's, uh, that's true. Um, thankfully, when I did have the opportunity after being a, a mentor teacher for, just for one year, there was an opportunity to join uh, a team with a brand new principal. I was a brand new assistant principal. Um, I had this principal who was just such a beautiful blessing and mentor to me in saying, you're not just going to do discipline as assistant principal, you're going to do everything. We had a campus of 1300 preschool through sixth grade students. So it was a very large campus. And she said, you're going to do everything. It's going to help you and it's going to help me. And uh, we were able to achieve as a whole team with a team of teachers and staff uh, we were able to turn around the school from underperforming to performing plus. Um, and it, it was it was a lot of work after being in school administration can be at the minimum a 12 hour a day job at the maximum. It could be about 18 hours a day. So it's it's uh, it's quite intense, but it's also so rewarding. Um, then after a few years of being an assistant principal, I felt like I'm ready to be a principal. I'm ready to have my own school. 
And the principal would joke with me, my mentor, and would say, Lupita, sitting on that chair is very different than sitting on the principal's chair. And I would reply back, yeah, right, Sue, I do what you do, but I do more because I also do all that bilingual stuff. And <laughs> I say, no, I'm serious. <laughs> and then um, because I had those uh, experiences and those voices, I did have a fear of interviewing address. So my strategy was trying to find the place where I really wanted to be in this case was Glendale Elementary because Glendale Elementary School District, every single school had a principal assistant principal team and I knew that job was dynamic enough that if I was going to be a principal, I needed that partner. But I applied in so many districts, including Queen Creek across the city, knowing that even if I was offered a job, I was not going to be able to accept it because I lived in Glendale. But it was, um, the fear that of rejection or the fear of the accent or the fear of people not being able to understand me, that I would want to get a lot of practice um, out of the way before going for the one uh, school or school district that I really wanted. That was very smart. That was very, very smart that you went and applied and get got all of those practice interviews out of the way so then you would be prepared and confident for the ones that you really wanted yes and and uh, interviewing for principal jobs is a is a it's very dynamic and and it includes community forums and it includes um in basket activities and a lot of different activities plus the interview with the superintendent and the and cabinet members so so it was very helpful and i was uh, blessed to be hired um, in the Glendale Elementary School District and the superintendent to be able to trust me to help open a brand new school as a brand new principal. And I think I was, let's see, 30, 34, I think, um, when, that, when that happened. Wow. Yep. So you had a brand new school, brand new principal, which means it was a brand new team and you were 34 years old. Yes, and that was, that was quite an interesting experience because I'm thinking mission, vision, and goals, hiring my team, an entire team for an entire school. And um, that was not the case. It was like, no lady, we want the color of the carpet, the color of the walls, what's going to be the name of the school, what's going to be the, the mascot of the school. <laughs> and, and a lot of that work takes a lot of processes and a lot of collaboration. Um, so yes, it was, it was intense work, but it was so incredibly rewarding. I had 950 treasures at that school and I knew the names of every single one of them and I just, um, loved them. But after a few years there, I had seen two of my, uh, good friends receive their doctorates, Dr. Dina Bruges, and uh, she's the director of gifted education in Paradise Valley and, Dr. Rachel Sanders, she's a principal in, in Dysart Unified. And when I had seen them receive their doctorates, that's when I uh, was inspired by them and thought, I want to do that. I want to be able to wear that funny hat and that regalia. And I want to be like them. So I went and started researching uh, doctoral programs and found uh, a perfect match at Arizona State University. And... Um, started visualizing what it would be to walk across that stage, started uh, a list of all the people that I would invite to a, the party uh, when I first started my doctoral program and it was a three-year program. So I kept adding to that list. 
That's amazing that you visualized what you wanted and you planned the party. Yes. And it was the biggest party that I probably that Glendale had seen in my neighborhood. <laughs> it's I really wanted people that had impacted me um, throughout my life. I had invited Dr. Evans from uh, the University of Arizona who had said that I would come back and get her job someday. And when I emailed her to let her know that I had finished my doctorate, she said, uh, it was 2009, so she said, Rita, not yet, please don't take my job. The recession is really bad right now. <laughs> and I said, no, Dr. Evans, I don't want your job. I just want to invite you to my graduation party. I'm finishing my doctorate and I, I want you to be part of this. So, so you were honoring all of those people that had encouraged you along the way and helped you to continue to keep going in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the naysayers, you had a few, you had a few cheerleaders in your corner that said, don't listen to it. Keep going. True. That's so, so, so true. Yes. And, and that was so encouraging. And then something in, incredible happened in 2009, um, Arizona State uh, University graduation speaker and commencement speaker was uh, President Barack Obama. And he had just been elected president and he was selected to be the speaker at two universities, uh, Notre Dame and um, ASU. And he would shake the hands of the nine Obama scholars and the 200 doctoral students. So it was a, it was a special moment um, to hear the president of the, of the United States say, congratulations, Dr. Hightower, and, and shake my hand. That was probably amazing to have a, a sitting president acknowledge you and acknowledge your accomplishment. It was a, a, a very, very special moment. Um, I had been hired by Tolleson Elementary School District already. Um, I was, had been there for a year. And um, part of my doctoral studies uh, was to, to make a difference for English language learners in the district and also to finish my superintendent internship hours even though I did not dream of being a school superintendent at all, uh, one of my colleagues had, done, had conducted her dissertation work on the Latina in the superintendency and um, the percentage of um, Latinos in the superintendencies um, is very low. It's Latino, Latinas, it's about 2% um, of about 15,000 superintendents in the nation. Of all, of all superintendents in the entire country, only 2%? Or Latin or Latina? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes, Latino or Latina. So that that was um, it is, and, and this is so. This is such an interesting uh, statistic, Adra, because as you may or may not know, seventy-seven percent of teachers are women. So seventy-seven percent of teachers are women, but only twenty-three percent of superintendents are women. So the majority of the educators are female and the majority of the administration is male, is what you're saying. Yes. Wow. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting um, statistic. And, um, and then again, if it comes, uh, once it comes down to African-American or Latinos, um, that percentage is, is a lot lower. Yeah, it's, uh, that, is, that is something that we need to change. And with leaders like you, I know that we can get there. Thank you so much. Because if they're all like you, we're very fortunate here in Arizona. No, thank you so much. But I have a feeling that you're a gem. 
think, you know, and, and of course it's one little person. So it's, um, it goes back to the entire team. Um, when you have an outstanding team, um, it makes things so much, so much better and so much easier so as well. I, I just want to highlight for everyone Lupita's story. She started out as, as a child in Mexico and came to the U.S. to further her education and heard individuals along the way that said because she was different, she couldn't do it. Uh, but fortunately, she had some individuals along the way that said, yes, she could. And here she, ought, here she is being a superintendent of a, a very nice size uh, school district here in Arizona. And I think that that is, that is a remarkable testament to you. Uh, and there's something that I noticed as you were speaking, you don't refer to the children in your school as students. I heard you say very, very, uh, quite a few times, treasures. Will you explain to me what you mean by that? Absolutely. In our district, Tatra, we believe that every single child is capable of success, no exceptions. So we are believers in the kids at hope philosophy. And uh, it's based on three tenets, believe, connect, and teach the treasures, our kids to time travel to four destinations, not only education and career, uh, habits and recreation, home and family and community and service. So they can visualize themselves in these four areas. Um, every single day, our students start um, the day by reciting, after the Pledge of Allegiance, they recite the Kids at Hope Pledge in which they state that they are smart that they're capable and that they have dreams for the future that they will climb and reach. So it's this affirmation, daily affirmation. Um, and then the adults um, are called treasure hunters in my district. And every single morning, right after our treasures recite the Kids at Hope pledge, basically saying our kids are not at risk, our kids are at hope. The treasure hunters recite a pledge that states as an adult and a treasure hunter, I am committed to search for the talents, the skills, the intelligence that exist in all children and youth, because I believe that every single child is capable of success, no exceptions. So to us, um, the students are treasures and they bring all these assets with them that we have to foster so they can accomplish those dreams that, that they have, just like many of us have been able to do. Lupita, that is amazing. That I've never heard that before. I've never heard about children, first of all, getting, giving themselves a daily affirmation, which I think is a good practice for us all to have. But then in return, the adults are giving their, basically pledging their determination to make sure that they assist in getting the kids to that same direction as well. And they're using the same visualization techniques that you did when you were seeing your doctorate, watching you walk across the stage, visualizing the party. You're doing the very same thing with your kids. And I think that more school districts should do that. I think that yours is the first I've ever heard of doing that. And that should be repeated everywhere. Is it, do you have a model well, for other schools to repeat that? And uh, the Kids at Hope belief system 
um, is implemented in many in many school systems. We do have two, two of our four schools are national models for Kids at Hope. So they have been awarded the National Kids at Hope model. Wow. Um, we say like my, I believe in the, in the Kids at Hope um, belief system and philosophy to the bottom of my toes. <laughs> and we, we don't only uh, state it, we practice it every single day. And uh, one of the things that makes me so proud is that we haven't expelled a single student in the last nine years uh, that I have been superintendent there. And we've only had one long-term suspension um, in our school district. And it's, it's, it's due to a lot of work and strategy by the school teams, by the teachers and the administrators at the schools um, to say, if I believe in that every single child is capable of success and our treasures start testing us and saying, are you for real? Are you really, are you really believing in me without exception? Um, we have to put our money where our mouth is and we have to support them as much as we can. Um, so, so we're proud of that. We're proud that in a, such a competitive um, state of choice of schools that 23% of our treasures come from out of district. Parents and families drive them to, to our district. And so that's a huge testament of our team, to our teams um, and the work that they do in the schools. That's... That is a huge testament to that. If they're driving their kids in to attend your school, and Lupita, you are trying to be an administrator in a very, very difficult time. Uh, how how are you going to move forward? And you want to continue to give the your your treasures the same level of education and attention that you've been giving them for the last nine years. How, how are you moving forward in, in trying to continue that same connection with, with your treasures now that we're in this strange remote learning environment? This is in no doubt, Adra, the most difficult uh, situation that educators, administrators, school boards, school systems find themselves into. Um, definitely across the nation, and I would imagine across the world as well. The, the biggest, funnest part of the job is the students, the treasures, the, the work is, is amazing, um, seeing how they're learning, how they're growing. So having to be in a situation that's not ideal at all and providing uh, distance learning for them is trying to provide the best um, and more and most robust distance learning opportunities that we can for them, but it's not ideal. And every solution that we think of um, cannot compare to in-person instruction, but we'll have to do it when, when it is safe to do it. But it is difficult, it is difficult. So one of the ways that I try to uh, continue to stay energized in the work uh, during a pandemic is by uh, visiting our students and our teachers during um, the virtual learning. So we have in our district this award-winning award um, mariachi band. And I just love, you know, going into their virtual classroom and seeing them perform um, or seeing them practice or I have students that have figured out that we use Microsoft Teams for our um, uh, for the for the um, 
it, last year was for pre-recorded videos. This year is going to be live teaching uh, during the entire day that they would be in school. So um, I have students that have figured out that they can actually call me on Microsoft Teams. <laughs> Both a good and a bad <laughs> and thing. Say, hey, I haven't <laughs> seen you around. Yes, I haven't seen you around, Dr. Hightower. I miss you. I want to be able to return to in-person learning, um, but so it's it's very difficult. It's very very difficult, and uh, we had fifty-seven percent of our families that had selected to go online, and forty-three percent of our families had selected to be in person. Uh, given given those percentages, we were going to be able to social distance um, our students and follow every CDC guideline. However the Arizona Department of Health Services just today, around the same time that I started this interview, released the data benchmarks and health metrics um, to share with the state and particularly with our county that we are still not in the place where we can start in-person learning um, given our, our numbers um, in the state, especially the positivity rate um, that we have in our county. So it's, it's tough because what makes education the best job in the world is the treasures and the kids and the schools and the teachers and the staff and not being able to see them live is, 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 is different. It's different and it's difficult. Yes, we'll we, we will there. all get there. And I know that we're all feeling that because as humans, we, we need to be near other humans. We need proximity. We we need um, fellowship, and kids are definitely uh, no exception to that. And and I I hope that we can get back to whatever level of normal is going to be. But I hope we get there soon. Um, Lupita, I know that your time is short with us today because uh, you're trying to figure out how to educate your kids, um, but. First, I want to say thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for giving your entire mind, body, spirit to your craft and investing so much into our children and their futures. I am grateful that you do that. And I'm grateful for you and all those that are like you. Thank you so much, Adra. It's inspiring and encouraging speaking to you. And I'm so appreciative of, of your time as well. I'm, I, I'm appreciative of, of you spending this time with me before I let you run, because I ask everybody these three questions and it, there's a test. I hope you studied. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay. My first question is in your busy in your busy schedule right now, what are you currently reading? I am reading um one of uh, Brené Brown's books. Brené Brown is a favorite around here. I I love her. So many of my guests love her. Brené Brown's amazing. Yes, I think it's there to lead. I think that's what I'm I think that's the the one that I'm reading right now. And then I also just started uh Caging, busting leadership, but I can't tell you a lot about it because okay. I just started it. <laughs> we will, we will come back for a study guide. Um, second question is, and this is kind of ironic that this is my second question is, what are you currently learning? Let's see, what am I currently learning? 
think um, to stay optimistic and um, stay optimistic, also stay real. Yes. And sharing and accepting and uh, the challenges, but also supporting our teams uh, that are working around the clock and encouraging them as well to be able to, to share how they're feeling and acknowledging those feelings and then uh, supporting them through those. That's a lot, but it's needed. So thank you for being dedicated to that. My last question is what's next? I just wanna continue to make a difference in whatever I do. So every role that I've had and every opportunity I've had, it's always with a mindset of, can I make a bigger difference? Can I impact? the students and the and the staff that I work with. So I just want to continue to be able to do that. Well, thank you for dedicating yourself to that because we, like I said before, we need more people like you in this world that give of themselves to try and make a difference. Before I let you run, and I have loved every minute of our conversation today, any last last words to our audience, if there's something that you could say to them, what would you say? I would say to um, support their educators and if they ever have a doubt of what happens in schools, to ask for a tour and um, to go in and see the amazing work that's happening in our schools. Um, and, and and even if it is virtually, virtually it will probably be easier to take those tours, but once we're back open, uh, to us for those tours so they can see the incredible work that happens in, in our public schools. Lupita, thank you. Thank you for the work that you do, for how dedicated you are, not only to your treasures, but to your teachers, to your other administrators, and to the district. We are very appreciative of that because you are building the future. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time with me today. I so appreciate you giving me this time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ata. Thank you all, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. That's our show. Before I let you go, I have some business that I need to get to. First, I want to thank my guests. I am continually awed at your generosity of spirit and the vulnerability that you continue to bring to our conversations. To you, my audience, you are incredible. Thank you for growing with me, and I hope that I continue to exceed your expectations. And to my team that helps me pull this off every single week. To our composer, Star Diva, who is amazingly talented. To Alan Bruckner, our graphic designer. Thank you for taking my crazy ideas and giving it life. To Savannah Boster, our social media manager. You do this so much better than I ever could. And last, But certainly not least, our producer, my number one son, Gavin Agan. Thank you for supporting your mom with her dream. I couldn't do this without you, kid. Please follow us on our socials at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at arena underscore women. See you next week.